0: Hello everyone and welcome to Ripen Special Education Weekly. Where our peer professional experts are gonna answer your questions about special education in Rhode Island. And I am Mark Gray. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And we are joined today by a panel uh, of experts from our special education team. Please welcome with me Deb Belanger.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Welcome, Deb Belanger. Thanks, Deb. Hello. Uh, I'm also joined by Anne. Everyone. Welcome, Deb Belanger. Thanks, Deb. Hello. Uh, I'm also joined by Anne Fertura. Hi, everybody. And making her Ripen Special Education Weekly debut this week, Bethany Hogan. Hi, all. Welcome, uh, Deb, Anne, and Bethany. Thanks so much for being here. Now, for, for those of you listening who might not be familiar with Ripen, Uh, We are the Parent Training and Information Center for the state of Rhode Island. This is a uh, designation from the US Department of Education. Every state has a Parent Training Information Center or PTIC. And we have been Rhode Island's PTIC since 1991. And all of our panelists today who I just introduced, they all have several years experience working on our PTIC team, working with parents and caregivers every day. Uh, who call our call center looking for help they are also themselves peers our panelists meaning they themselves are parents of children who have a disability have received or are receiving special education uh, related services accommodations so they have tons of experience uh, both personal and professional experience and they're going to use that like they do every day at ripen to help answer some of the questions that you have today And we're gonna get to those questions in just a little bit. If you're joining us live uh, and you have a question, we would love to hear it. If you're with us on Zoom, you can click the Q&A button. Uh, You can type your question into the chat. You can raise your hand and uh, we'll do our best to answer your question. If you're joining us, if you're listening or watching on YouTube, you can type your question into the chat there on YouTube. You can tweet us at ripen underscore ri You can send us a Facebook message, you can send an email to weekly at ripen.org, lots of ways to reach us. And if we don't get to your question today, we'll definitely answer it on a future episode of Ripen Special Education Weekly. When when you ask your question, we do ask that you help us protect everyone's privacy. Please refrain from using your child's name, the names of any specific school, school district, any uh, school personnel that you work with. Just wanna be careful and protect everyone's privacy and anonymity. We have some audience questions to get to already, uh, and we'll get to those in just a moment. First, I want to ask our panel, what are you hearing from parents? Uh, Any trends emerging in the calls you're getting? What what has come up in the last week or so? Um, uh, I guess we can start with Deb.
1: Thanks, Mark. We're not seeing, um, so last week we talked about trends related to students maybe with 504 plans that were feeling like um, the parent thought they might need more and might need an IEP. We're seeing the the overall trends start with, uh, my child isn't making progress or my child's not being successful. And it's not just whether they're distance learning or they're doing an in-person hybrid model It's a struggle, it's a struggle, you know, for any child, but it's really a struggle uh, for for many, many kids um, with IEPs. So the the general response is the same. We're working side by side with families, talking about next steps. How are we documenting those conversations? And yes, there are some where we get um, parents calling us and saying the school said, no, we can't do such and such until We're either back to full-time opening of school, which we immediately then work side by side with the parent around next steps, um, because those blanket statements are not what we should be hearing back. We should be hearing families are getting together, they're talking at meetings, they're getting creative with their ideas, and they're doing this work one kid at a time. So that's kind of, um, that's really what we're seeing right now.
0: Sure, yeah. Um, interesting. So a lot of a lot of the same. Of course, you're hearing new things every week. Uh, I'm sure no two situations that you're hearing are exactly alike. Uh, I want to move on to a question we got via email from a parent from I believe a mom. And she writes about uh, her children. She has two children who are uh, a son in 10th grade, she writes, and, and the other is a senior. And she says they both have different uh, learning and behavioral differences, special needs. She says they have not learned a thing since the start of the pandemic and since the start of distance learning way back in, in March. Um, because of the fear of transmission in the pandemic, her boys aren't able to attend their high school But she's talking about why didn't the schools, instead of allowing all of the students and all the parents to sort of opt into distance learning versus in person learning as some of the districts have done and and, and the districts, all the districts throughout Rhode Island have, have had different slightly different approaches to this. She wonders why they didn't sort of set a precedent for the students with special needs, basically allowing them to have um, you know the kind of the first pick when it comes to should they have access to distance learning or access to in-person learning? Uh, because I'm sure no matter what the situation is, the those are going to fill up. You can only have so many students in the school building for obvious reasons. And then uh, on the distance learning front, I'm sure there's a capacity issue there as well. So she is sort of asking, you know, rather than having this hybrid, or what are the options based on personal choice? Couldn't they have had uh, scheduled enrollment? Couldn't they have had made it easier for the kids with special differences, for the kids with IEPs and 504s, um, to sort of get what they needed? Uh, and you know, it's kind of a big question, and I wonder mm-hmm. if if any of you have any thoughts. Have you heard of any districts doing anything like that? Um, and I do want to add the, the last thing she sort of left within her email was that the teachers, you know, dealing with all this are saints and, and how thankful she is for all of them and, and that the school department where she is, is doing an amazing job with what they can control, but, but getting to her issue, are you hearing about some of the other approaches that districts have, have had and, and what would you say to that?
1: All right, I'm gonna try to answer a little bit of that and then um, see, you're right, there's not gonna be a clear answer around that. But one of the things that Ripen did uh, six weeks ago was when the plans started to come out from the districts, we were kind of looking, taking a deep dive, seeing if there were districts kind of taking the special education uh, students in those pieces and how are they doing those differently? So, you know, in all honesty, did I see, did we see across the board that, oh yes, districts started with thinking about those children first, but we didn't see it, but we did see some where they were not only saying, okay, before they were doing the surveys, right? So every lot of the schools were encouraged by the state to do school surveys from parents. And I can't agree more with this mom. I think she's bringing Um, A lot of really valid points to the table that, um, you know, the answer of why, we'll never be able to answer why did they do things the way they did. But I think there's an opportunity for us to look forward and say, how could things be done different in the future? I don't know about you, but in my household, who's ever got the greatest need at any different, any given moment is how we look at how we function as a family, right? Some days it's going to be my child with d- d- special needs. Some days it's going to be my husband and a lot of days it's me. So, you know, how do we focus on when, when that person's needs are taken care of, all the rest can kind of fall into place after that. And what this mom is suggesting is for schools, th- there's parents out there that didn't maybe have the opportunity for their child who has that IEP Maybe they weren't able to choose distance learning, or maybe they weren't able to choose in person because it filled up quickly. And that maybe in her case, that's what happened. Remember, we've got lots of different districts doing a lot of different things. However, this is still a moving target all the time. And you know, if you're listening to the, the governor today, and she's going to be speaking more tomorrow, there's a lot of things that are going to continue to change and that's going to have an impact on education. And I guess I wonder In January, for example, if things look very different will schools have to go kind of back to that drawing board and Take a look at where that greatest need is, you know, we do know of districts who have brought back all their their children or not all their children, but their children with IEPs who have the greatest needs. They brought them back first they've looked at they've really been strategic in how they've returned them back to the buildings. But are we seeing that across the board. No, but I do think there's opportunity there. To change that direction and create more for parents to get their voices out there and maybe have an impact on some system change for their district. You know, uh, and and that might uh, there are those opportunities. We'd look at our local advisory committees, and maybe we could talk a little bit more about that. Where this idea, this I, we hear that frustration. These are the frustrations that Ripens getting calls in every day. Uh, you know, and yet they're saying my school's trying really hard. They're really trying to 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 do that with these moving targets of. Some days, you know, you find out a teacher in this room or a child in that room is testing positive, and how everything has to shift around. So, you know, there are parents that understand that that this is challenging. However, we've still got to make sure those kids' needs are are being met. It's not a great yeah. answer, but it it at least it the idea is that her idea is good. And how do we get that message out there more? That that, yeah, it's that- a.
0: it's a big question Uh, like you said it's 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 a it's looking at a policy uh at a school level or at a district level you talked about systems change and you mentioned deb uh local advisory committee so i i wonder a little bit more what for our audience uh what is that can can you deb or someone on our panel just a quick definition of what is a local advisory committee and how does that fit in
2: So I'll I'll take that, Mark. Um, So local advisory committees, you'll hear us refer to them as LACs. Some districts um, have special education advisory committees or SEACs, but they're all the same. Um, They're all groups of um, community members, parents of students um, in the district. Um, who come together, um, they, the families will share their experiences. They'll share their perspectives um, in order to help kind of guide the decision-making process and shape policy at the local level, um, they, you know, those voices, those voices of our kids with disabilities uh, need to be heard. And that's the place where they're going to be heard um, most effectively. Um, the group as a whole will look at what issues are happening in the district and how if, or, and how they're affecting the education of our kiddos with disabilities. Um, and, you know, and, and finally, you know, building that positive, uh, parent school relationship, you know, is good for everyone it benefits all of our kids it benefits all of our schools in a district Um, and as deb said if we're if we're working to help the kids that have the greatest needs in our district then ultimately we're going to be helping everybody in the district
3: i'd love to add something there Um, i think if you've been listening to any or all of our webinars since march Um, We've had a lot of focus and and on individual solutions, right, Um, because we have to. It's it's the basis of everything we're talking about is that individualization. Um, One thing I think that this great question brought to us was um, at some point uh, when we're moving from the me to the we, um, and in this case, you know, a, a district, um, a population of special education students and their families. I think that's where we're hoping, as Deb said, we don't know how long things will continue this way. Um, we do know some of the district plans that were put forth for reopening were um, kind of for that first semester, right? So maybe ending in December. There's definitely a movement that could happen, change that could happen, input that is really valuable that needs to come through. And when it comes from a group, um, it has not just more impact, but it has that added value because that group is going to have so many individuals and so many needs that will be represented. And it just brings the parent voice to maybe some future decisions on how um, what it looks like to get some kids into the building and some not regardless, there's always going to be those individual situations that, you know, what works for one is not going to work for the other. But I think the group of groups as a whole have such value and impact, especially when they're when they're um, really conducted and formed with the right purpose in mind. These groups are not meant to be a, a forum for, um, you know, bringing my own dirty laundry or my own my child's personal information and any kind of conflicts in front of the public. It's truly around looking at things as a in a global way.
0: So, so what? I think, I, oh, please, please go ahead, Deb.
3: No, is it, if it's okay.
1: So, you know, the what we're talking about right now is systems change, right? And that's what Andy's referring to. It's moving from me to we. You know, we use that term a lot this idea of advisory groups local advisory groups on special education you know this is going to be a little bit of a shameless plug for these groups and also with those special ed directors that are out there but every first of all every state in the country is required to have a state special education advisory committee in our state it's called RICEAC. they're going to be looking for new members shortly so it, the idea of a lot of parents, a lot of teachers, a lot of people are using this time to learn from this, right? We don't know if this is gonna to end tomorrow, we, but we do need to plan for the long run. So, so Rhode Island has a very active um, state advisory group. We also went over and above as a state in order to keep some of that, that, that opportunity back in the local districts. So our regulations state that every school, every state-sponsored state charter school, and every school district is required to have this local advisory committee on special education. And advisory is the key word. It isn't necessarily about advocacy, although advocacy becomes part of what you're doing. But you're you're bringing that parent voice. What that mom was talking about in that, in that email was she wanted there to be a way for her voice to get out there to say, how come we didn't do this differently? And this is the opportunity right now for local advisory committees who are required to have a committee of people together, not just one person, but a committee to uh, talk about and advise on the unmet needs of students with disabilities. This is a great example. Uh, it is up to that special education director to coordinate, for help facilitate that. But 51% of that group needs to be made up of parents of children with disabilities. Um, and so it is a great opportunity to start taking these voices that are kind of coming in, go back and ask, do we have an active group? When do they meet? check that if it's not on their the school's website where else can contact that special edit um a director maybe you might be interested in getting that going but all these great ideas that we have to learn from this time we have to take this i mean we're not going back we're not going backwards we're not going to go back to what we knew before and the sooner we all kind of come to terms with that the better off we're going to be at shaping the future for our kids with disabilities. It's a great opportunity to get involved.
0: So yeah, so this this is great. What I'm hearing is that, you know, you you as a parent, you're going to work as hard as you can to get what your child needs to be successful. Eventually, you're going to run into those situations that are bigger than just your kid or your kid's classroom. Or your kids you know learning group it's it's going to be a school-wide it's going to be a district-wide thing and this is where you can maybe participate in something like a local advisory committee now and it it sounds like these are all uh legally mandated to exist every district has one uh, under under both state state law mandates that every local district have a committee and and federal law mandates that every state have a special education advisory committee um so i guess the next question is if i'm a parent and i want to get more involved with my district's local advisory committee how do i how do i start where do i where do i begin who do i go to first
3: daphne would you like that Sure.
2: sure i'll take it um so if i'm a parent in my district and i'm looking for information on my lack um personally i would start with um my district's webpage, because that's where I always start um hopefully there's a link there um to um, their information their contact information you might find meeting information um, meeting minutes um, the agenda for an upcoming meeting however if that information is not posted um I would certainly reach out personally to my special education director, um, you know, via email, just, you know, state that I'm interested in, um, you know, working with other parents and professionals um, in a lack. Do we have one in our district? If we don't, how do I go about, you know, getting one started up because, in this time right now where everything is just changing day to day and um, you know, social media is a double edged sword. There's just, there's a lot of misinformation um, that's floating around and uh, you know, rumor and, and just panic, panicked families. Absolutely. I totally get that. Um, But a lack is a great place where families can be seeking out accurate information about what's happening in their districts.
3: And right now, it's such a great time to do it as far as convenience. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else. But of course, meetings in person needed to be scheduled at a time where parents could walk out the door, hopefully after dinner was cooked, served, cleaned up. Um, you might have to bring your child to the meeting. They're, if it was really good, they might have had um, babysitting set up or some sort of activity now it is so much easier for me to leave my dishes in my sink come to my office turn on my computer and log into a meeting where i'm going going to connect with not only other parents but i'm going to connect with the special ed director we've seen amazing things happening in some districts with their local advisory committees as far as um, presenters coming in and presenting via zoom recordings being made um, Even PowerPoints being made available on on a public website where anyone can access it. So in some ways it's benefiting anyone who can reach that website in the state could see these things and beyond. Um, So the the great thing is, is that um, I think we're going to see an uptick, just like we've seen an uptick in in all kinds of meetings um, being available. We're going to see some more participation and more meaningful participation because we're all just right here in front of our screens. Um, it's a great opportunity.
1: The, uh, the uh, These advisory committees are, because they're mandated, so they're public meetings also, you know, so there's a committee that's working. There's, there's a time, you know, when it's done correctly, there's time for the public to come in. But um, this is the time to ask questions. How are we meeting, How, what's happening for our kids with IEPs how many how many are doing in person how many are you know still doing distancing are we going to be relooking at that how will we prioritize can we prioritize i mean i think that's what that mom's email was all about this is the vehicle to do that there isn't there aren't too many other um committees within a school system that are actually mandated and this is
0: one of them so what can a local advisory committee do let's say you let's say you find your district's local advisory committee maybe it's very active maybe it's not so active maybe you have to kind of be the one to to get things started or maybe you show up and and there's already a lot of members it sounds like it varies from district to district but saying you you connect with your local advisory committee How can that committee work to support change? What kinds of things could they even begin to work on?
3: Well, I think in this case, like we're saying today, and like Deb said, it's an advisory committee. Um, This is not, while we don't necessarily, a group like this might not get a vote in things, um, what they're doing is they're bringing the, the voice of the many to administration to hopefully um impact some of the decisions it's not necessarily to make decisions it's really around impacting by informing um, i've seen many um, school committees um, really involve themselves in maybe attending um, a local advisory committee meeting right they want to hear they want to hear from those people um, in some districts they are they actually have a plan to make sure that there is um, a pto member um, assigned to each meeting or it might be vice versa it might be that somebody on um, on each pto is represented within the the local advisory committee and same thing goes as far as those different levels because what happens when we have all the families involved um, in the high school level is those kids move on and we need to kind of so so the other piece is really engaging and inviting families in. And the people who are the best at inviting families in are those special ed directors. Um while it's nice to talk to other people, nobody feels better than when their special ed director reaches out to them directly and says, I think you could make a difference here. Right? Those are the first emails we all open, right? So um any other ideas on what they can impact?
2: Have a, a specific example. Um, I know a district um, a while back was having some significant issues with um, kiddos with disabilities on um, the, the school buses. Um, and every every meeting that information was being brought in and, and presented and brought in and presented. And what ended up happening was um, the the lack working together and working with their special ed director, um, they were able to kind of put all that data together and then invite um, a representative from the transportation company to sit down at a meeting. And they presented their information, they presented their concerns. um, And what ended up happening was they actually um, worked on some training for um, the staff on buses To be working with kids with disabilities, and it just—it was definitely a happy ending for
1: everyone. There's a there's um over the years there's been I mean a lot of things that have happened. We know recently that one district was uh, hiring a new um, high school principal, and they went to the local advisory committee in that district and said, "We want someone to sit on the the interview committee, the hiring committee." I did that 30 years and 20 years ago back when my kids were in school that having the voice when a parent with a child with a disability goes with the with the we mindset they're thinking about all children with disabilities um, and how that can impact hiring practices um and another district this year and this is really about the reopening of schools Um, one district reached out to their local advisory committee and asked them to come through the walkthrough through through the school buildings now it's a a district that only has um, three or four like a high school and middle school and maybe one or two elementary schools but they were literally doing the walkthrough of this and that and how it was going to look and and the, the, uh, one of the parents on that group, I mean, one of the things that came up was they were putting the, um, oh, the classroom, if a child tested positive or an adult tests positive for COVID, so they had this one classroom down at the very end of the hall. And if, or, or if they suspected, so they were gonna put an isolation room is maybe what they were calling until they could do anything. So when they were going to the walkthrough, when they were showing this classroom, which was at the end of this hallway, this little, it happened to be directly across the hall from the classroom with the children that were medically fragile. And this parent brought that to the attention because she knew that she'd been involved for years. She said, well, isn't this the self-contained classroom for the kids with a lot of medical issues? And again, this wasn't like a walkthrough. This was at the end of this like dead end hallway. And they said we we had we didn't know that or we hadn't thought of that. So that simple that simple idea was able to transform their plans in how they were going to reopen. So uh, the idea of now of of um, being able to um, kind of put, uh, get in there, get parents in there, and ask hard questions: What is the data on this, and, and how are we? Um, how are you helping those families or how are you helping these students? Excuse me. There's never been a better time to be doing this right now.
0: So that's a great example. It sounds like of a parent with that experience, being able to bring that perspective uh, that that maybe wouldn't have been considered otherwise. And they were able to do that because of their participation in uh, their their local advisory committee. So. To, to recap, if I can, what I'm hearing is it sounds like uh, if you want to get connected with your local advisory committee, you want to maybe start with your school's website, your school district's website. You may find information there as far as when they meet, you know, how they go about meeting and, and things like that. Uh, just to point out again, these are public meetings. Uh, if you can't find the information on your school district's website, you want to reach out to your school district special education director, uh, send them an email, find their contact information and get in touch with them and ask them about the local advisory committee. And you may find that your district has a very active uh, local advisory committee with a lot of members. You may find that your district has a less active local advisory committee with lower participation, but either way for you as a parent, it's a good venue for you to bring that perspective and maybe kind of uh, um, advise the district around things that are going to impact your child with special needs, your child with a disability.
3: Yes, sounds good. And um, one thing I wanted to add too, we've talked about these groups, we've talked about how different they all are. We've, um, we acknowledge that some have um, a geographical um, kind of barriers for some families. There are some who are you know, maybe out in a more rural area, and again, it's tougher to get out at night. Um, however, we also what we didn't mention is that we have a um, twice a year, we have um, an opportunity for all of the leadership from these groups to come together and receive kind of some technical assistance and some support as a group. And there's nothing more exciting than this, you know. This this these this time I can't even say it's a dinner because right now it's not a dinner it, it was before um, where districts are sharing what worked best and you can see that how you know um, how invested all these people are you have somebody from one district in the north hearing um, from another district in the south what worked for them and how they were able to increase their membership and work through some of those things they share um, and it's so powerful to see. Want another district put that into play in their district and have the same results or um it's it's amazing to see so um, that happens twice a year and ripen hosts that and we um, have such a great and it happens to be tomorrow night so if you're not on a group now maybe by the next one that we have in six months you might be able to join us for that
0: that sounds excellent that sounds like a great opportunity and a, and a great way to kind of leverage the collective experience of all of these uh, local groups all over the state of Rhode Island because they are going to all be seeing different things and be able to support each other in ways uh, that maximize their impact better than if they had tried to just do it on their own. So that's really, really cool to hear about. Uh, That's really all we have for today, folks. I want to once again thank our panel, Bethany Hogan, Ann Fritura, and Deb Belanger. Thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing this information. I want to thank our audience. Thank you for joining us. You can submit your questions for Ripen Special Education Weekly. You can email them to weekly at ripen.org. You can send them uh, to us via YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, find out all the information on how to reach Ripen at www.ripen.org. And of course, if you want more information about this topic any related topic. If you're looking for one-on-one support around special education issues in Rhode Island, you can call our call center, 401-270-0101, Monday through Friday, uh, 8 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can call us. If you don't get a live answer, if you want to call us after hours, you can leave a voicemail. Someone will get back to you. We are experiencing higher than normal call volumes right now, as you might uh, expect but someone will get back to you and they will work with you as best they can to resolve your issue. Thank you again, everyone for joining us and enjoy the rest of your afternoon.
3: Thanks
1: everyone. Bye.